Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, already we've had uh, potent messages, haven't we, with Eric bringing, bringing us uh, first-hand experience from what the Lord is doing in Alaska Christian College and, uh, and uh, the readings from Isaiah, the reference to Zebulun and Naphtali. And then we heard it again when, uh, when uh, Dal was reading in Matthew that uh, Jesus went to Capernaum so that Isaiah might be fulfilled. It seems like it's all fitting together, doesn't it? Uh, the call of Jesus to these fishermen by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, that's the kind of thing that Jesus is doing all the time. He's uh, creating crises. Yeah, crises. If you think about, uh, you think about Andrew and Peter, they were in, involved in a fishing business, and uh, there they were in the middle of their work by the, by the sea, uh, cleaning their nets. Maybe, maybe they'd had a great catch, maybe a, a, a small catch. We don't know for sure, but they were in the middle of their work when uh, Jesus is there and uh, calls them, follow me. Somehow that had become a, uh, a, a welcome choice to them. They, uh, they maybe knew who Jesus was. He had been living in Capernaum. The text says he made his home in Capernaum. And, uh, and maybe a lot had preceded that, that very moment. But Matthew wants to tell us the moment of crisis. Uh, Peter and Andrew, uh, they can proceed with what they have known, what they've built up in their business together. Uh, their family lives there in, in Capernaum, and, uh, um, and, and things are going pretty well. They are known there. Uh, they are locals there in that area. Things are routine, uh, things are maybe pretty calm, and uh, things are going well. Their fish are, are clean and packed in barrels and salted and shipped down to, to Rome. The Romans had a taste for that tilapia fish that, uh, that was fished out of the Sea of Galilee. Even now we call it St. Peter's fish. But, uh, but they had a good market, a good thing. A good thing. And then, and then Jesus, who was from Nazareth and uh, a local in Nazareth, moves into town and begins preaching and teaching and healing in the Capernaum area, the Gentile area there, the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he becomes known and, and probably becomes known to, uh, to Peter and Andrew. John's story last week told us about... Uh, Andrew meeting Jesus and, and uh, being told he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and then he, he went to get his, uh, his brother Peter telling him whom he had found. So there's a lot going on between the good thing of what Peter and Andrew have in their, in their life and the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum. And also this good thing that, uh, that is happening around Jesus more and more, he is uh, distinctive. More and more, the power of, of God seems to be uh, coming forth from him. But Jesus specializes in creating crises. He says, follow me. Follow me. Now, in my Bible, and yours too, uh, there's just a little space there between the, uh, 
the quote marks, and then the next sentence, which begins, immediately they left their nets and followed him. They made the decision. It looks like a split-second decision. Maybe it was. Maybe Jesus said, follow me, and he started walking away. Not looking back, and they had just a few seconds to decide, oh, well, there he, there he goes. What do you think? Well, we're going to go. We're going to go. It's a dramatic story that we were familiar with, and we, and, we, and we cherish it, don't we, because it happened to them. And it makes it uh, very strong and biblical and exhibits the power, the power of God, that maybe the charisma of Jesus, that, that they would leave everything they had just like that. And then a little further down the shore, it happens again. James and John, sons of Zebedee. And he says to them, follow me. And they were in a crisis, a little different. Their father had, had the business, and uh, they were known as the thun, sons of thunder. So maybe Zebedee was a thunderous man, and, and maybe they had that to think about. Well, if we leave... Dad here, he is really going to be angry, and the sound of his voice is going to be echoing all around the Sea of Galilee in his rage, and what on earth are you boys doing? Come back here! And maybe we wouldn't be able to come back again ever because we had left. We had left our father, Zebedee. But they too, same sentence, same impression, immediately left their boat and followed him. They left what was good in their life. They left what was, what was predictable. They left what they knew. They left the security of the way that their life had been and followed Jesus. It's that crisis point that, uh, that illumines, illumines a lot of things in our lives, doesn't it? Um, remember seeing in, the, uh, in that series, The Crown, that uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, is talking to her, her younger, her oldest, but heir to the throne, Charles, and Charles is asking, what are we really supposed to be doing, Mother, as royalty here in, in England? And, uh, and the country is in the middle of several crises. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an interesting program, but but, uh, but Elizabeth says, well, our job is to, uh, is to calm more crises than create crises. Crisis going on there now, isn't there? They created there. Well, anyway, um, it's interesting that that would emerge again in that, in that in show and that it kind of sees in our own lives and all around us crisis, crises. The dilemma of decisions and the dilemma of uh, what are we going to choose to do with this fork in the road. Sometimes we've seen it coming up, and often we don't, that we need to make a split-second decision uh, based, on, based on our intuition, based on, on a hunch, based on what seems to be the best thing at the moment, and, uh, and live with that decision, for better or for worse. As Jesus is moving into the, the fulfillment of the next phase of his ministry, he's been preaching and healing and teaching 
We don't have too many details about that. Maybe that's because there aren't disciples that are gathered around him. He seems to be saying indirectly, there is something more that we need to be doing. I need help. I need help. And, uh, and I, I think you are, you four are, are four that will, that will help me in the work that I am called to do. That I am following through on it. Maybe you know enough about me. And maybe God is in your life enough that, uh, that you would consent, that you would say yes, and you would start following me. Which did, just didn't mean to tag along, but to apprentice themselves. And thought, word, and deed, and in faith, and activity uh, along what Jesus was doing, where he was going. Again, in the Gospels, as the story unfolds, the disciples have an idea of what they should be doing or where should be, be staying, perhaps, and Jesus, no, we must be on our way. We must be going on to another town, to another situation, to another crisis. And you can imagine, I, if I would be a part of them, and they probably did too, looked at each other, raised their eyebrows. Oh, man, can we have a break? We just, things are just settled down a little bit here. And now, now we're going into another situation that is strange to us. And, uh, and who knows what the greeting will be. Who knows what crises we're going to become a part of? Who knows if they ever got used to that? But certainly became their way of life as they followed Jesus. The good news uh, today is that, that this account of the calling of these four disciples keeps keeps being presented to us as, uh, as this is the way it happens. This is the way it can happen in, in those who, who know and sense uh, the call of Jesus on their lives. And maybe as we look at the qualifications of Peter and Andrew, James and John, we see, well, they're not, they're not educated men. Uh, they... They haven't been around a lot. They've been been living and having their business there in the Sea of Galilee. Um, why would Jesus call them? You would think that maybe he would call someone, uh, maybe who who had um, motivational skills, or or maybe someone who was uh, who had been around to many many areas in in Jerusalem and. Uh, in even Egypt, and retrace the trails of, of the Israel wandering, and, and so that they would know all about the stories in the Hebrew Bible firsthand. Preachers, uh, preachers, someone, uh, someone who would be able to speak, and someone who would be able to convince or make sense. Or maybe a, a physician or something that would help with the healing, the follow-up for the miracles of healing that Jesus was doing. Here, you know, I, your stroke is cured and you can walk again. You need some therapy. I'll turn you over to my disciple here who's a therapist. And he'll work with you some more. That makes a lot more sense to us, doesn't it? And certainly someone maybe who had a chain of motels all around um, Galilee and Israel, where they would be able to stay from time to time and get cleaned up on their itineration. Now, 
You know, he calls these these fishermen. We pause and look at that, and maybe we need to remember what Richard Rohr said, that nothing, nothing, nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. That means that when you step into God's plan, when you hear the call of Jesus on your life, nothing in your life will be wasted. Not even the low, low failures, the not even the exhausting times, not even the quandary, not even the mistakes, nothing is wasted. Also the achievements and the education, all the experience that you have, nothing is wasted, all that, all that can be used by God for God's glory and for God's purpose, God's mission in a broken and breaking world. Hmm. So, so for fishermen, men, a bit of time on the on the sea, and uh, well, I guess they had patience. I don't know any fisherman that doesn't have patience. I, I think maybe they had uh, a discernment about about what it was wise to, uh, to go out and, and fish. The tilapia are bottom feeders, and they and they only come up mostly at night, but then. But then sometimes not. They, they uh, swim in schools, and uh, there might be no fish here at all, but, but a, a, a huge fish over there. Remember when Jesus said, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. We see that as a miracle. Maybe, all, maybe Jesus could see from the shore that there were fish on the other side, not on the side that they were casting their net and coming up empty and getting more and more frustrated. They did, and their nets were, were full, so they, they were breaking. It was a miracle of, of Jesus giving them instructions, but also maybe something very practical that was just in the nature of the fish in the Sea of Galilee. Discernment. Maybe also they had learned something about working with people as they had other men working with them in, uh, on boats at, at night. They knew how to work hard uh, to go out and to keep at it for their, for their catch. Maybe they knew something about, uh, uh, about dealing with authorities as they sought to market their, their, their fish to, uh, to the authorities in Rome and traders that would... Uh, would be middlemen for them. Maybe they they knew how to uh, how to get along domestically with their families in order to uh, in order to save their wealth and in order to uh, work in harmony with with such a lifestyle which would which would be so demanding and exhausting and it may be a real strain on family life sometimes. Maybe some of those are the gifts that Jesus was thinking when he called, follow me, follow me, you four who smell like fish, follow me. It still happens, Jesus calling. It still happens, people responding that way. There's a story about... uh, there's a story about a, a family that uh, were a church-going family and happened to be in the state of New York and uh, uh, and they'd gone to church in Sunday school uh, uh, most Sundays and uh, 
um, and they uh, they were prosperous and and uh, sent their children off to college. Their middle child, Anna, uh, was sent to uh, a college in, in Georgia. And she started attending a church there while she was at school. And, uh, and, one, and one week they had a, uh, a missionary uh, from Africa who came and told about uh, an orphanage that had become part of their mission. The need for it and the... Um, and the, and the need within the need for uh, for help, and that uh, uh, and that would be be something that uh, that he wanted to make known to anyone who was at that meeting that night. It wasn't a uh, emotional um, gripping message that he gave. It was kind of a uh, very a very calm. Um, Revealing that there is a need for for help in the orphanage in Africa. Anna was in that meeting and and she heard that and something within her ignited. And and she went home that night and, and called her parents and said, I, I just heard um, a missionary in, in Africa talking about and and they need help. And they need need help in Africa. Your parents listen and say, oh, that's, that's wonderful. That's so good what, what, they, what they're doing in Africa with, uh, with the need that's there. We'll make a donation. We'll make a donation. And Anna said, well, good, good. Uh, I'll send you the address and everything, and you can make a donation. A couple of days later, she called again and said, I'm still thinking about that orphanage in Africa. Uh, well, dear, we, we made a donation, and I, we think that's a very good cause. Do you want us to make a larger donation? No, no. You can if you want, but, but I'm thinking that I need to go there. I need to go there and, uh, and do something and help. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Is that, isn't that dangerous? And, and your schooling, how is, how is that going to be? It, it'll be interrupted, and, uh, and we've already paid the tuition, and um, why don't you think about it a while and, and pray about it a while? Anna did a couple days later, and she said, "You know, I I called up the contact number for that orphanage, and I I told them that uh, that I wanted to come and be there." And they said, "Come on, come on, come and be here. We'll we'll make arrangements for you, and uh, uh, but I'm going to wait until." Uh, until the, the semester is over. Oh, okay. Oh, well, well, let's talk about this some more. We're praying about it at home, too. Is there a friend that you can go with? Uh, maybe a group from school that you can go to, uh, to this orphanage. Where did you say it was in Africa? And a couple days later, they were getting used to these calls from Anna, and, and uh, she was even more excited than ever, and she said, I'm going to Africa, Mom and Dad, and I'm going for a whole year. I'm going there. I'm going to help. I'm going to do whatever they need to do. And I'm going to be a part of what's happening in that orphanage in Africa. Well, at that point, the, uh, the father thought he needed to talk to his pastor. So... Uh, uh, 
so he made an appointment with with him and and they went to uh, went to his study and he poured out the whole story to his pastor and then at the end of the story he he said uh, you know you know we we just tried to do our best with our family and to uh, and to raise them to be respectable Christians. But we never thought that one of them would become a real Christian. <laughs> I don't know if he knew what he was saying or not, but, but it, does, it does reveal some truth about uh, the call of Jesus and how people respond to it, too. There's an irrationality about it. There's a there's a compulsion to it. There's a, a vulnerability that, that happens when you step out of your local situation, your routine, and everyone who knows you and every, everything is safe and secure. You know how to live and move and have prosperous being in, a, in an area. And you go to a Capernaum. You go to some place that is not local. You go to Gentile territory, territory that is, that is not rooted in, in, the, in the story of Jesus, or maybe even the awareness of God, you go. And people go. Like they did back then and in the story of Matthew. And, and it's to fulfill the truth that, that God is light, and God wants to bring light to those who dwell in deep darkness. And sometimes that light is best brought when Jesus is living in a person, like we sang, live your life in me, and I will live my life in you. Later on in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever receives me will receive the light of life. He was echoing the the truth, or John wrote down that truth too, and he said, in him was life, and his life was the light for all people. It was an answer to the crisis in Anna's life, crisis that she didn't have before Jesus put it there. But then as she lived with it, she, she left what she had to go and spend that year in Africa. Maybe you have stories about people that have done that too. Maybe you have done that yourself. Maybe you know the, the exhilaration and the quandary of being in a crisis of, uh, I think my life is going in this direction, but now my faith, Jesus, has brought, brought this into the picture, and now I'm in a crisis. What shall I decide? What can I do? What would be best, maybe not for me in my own short-range view, but, but best for the kingdom, best to live out the purposes of God. Our world is broken and breaking, after all. And sometimes those who are, are most exposed to it are the ones who, who respond with, with their lives with their decisions to, uh, to follow. There's another story about a, uh, a man who visited in a, in a church, much like, much like ours, 
sat way in the back corner for a couple Sundays. He wore a suit, but he's a little disheveled and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, kind of shy, voided, voided people. He left right away sometimes even before the very end of the service to avoid friendly people that might want to get to know him better. But finally, one, uh, one Sunday, he hung around and uh, came to the pastor. Can I talk to you, he said. The pastor noticed him from a distance and said, sure, yeah, I've noticed you, and uh, yeah, let's talk. He went into study again and, and said, uh, I, I have, to, have to tell you something. I, I've made a decision, and, uh, and I don't have anyone else in my world. I, I live in a situation uh, where, uh, where I would be persecuted if, if this were made known. But I have to tell someone. So, so I want to tell you this. And out of his pocket, he, he pulled a cassette tape. Remember those? <laughs> he pulled a cassette tape and gave it to the pastor. And the pastor said, thanks. And, and the man said, thank you. He left. The pastor put it aside and kind of forgot about it, but the next day he noticed it again. So, so he found a, a player, one of his old cars had a cassette player, and he popped it in there. And it, at first there was nothing on the tape at all, it was just silence. And then it was the voice of that man he recognized singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And there began a journey with, with that man and the pastor and the church at a different level. He had to tell someone and when it was accepted, and when, when it was affirmed, when it was received, and that man found that he was surrounded by people that celebrated that and helped him to find the place where he might be able to fulfill that call, to recognize when he was following Jesus and when he wasn't, and to say, yeah, that's real. That's Jesus calling you. Who you are, where you are, what you're doing right now in all your experience and also your ignorance in all that you think you can do and all that you know you can't do, but you're being asked to do anyway. That's Jesus. Maybe especially in that crisis that you felt. You had to, you had to decide, then you had to tell someone what you decided. You have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. People of God, it's an essential story in, in the story of, of Jesus. In the revelation of Epiphany, it's about lights and the light of the world coming into, the, into our worlds and maybe bracing ourselves for the crises that Jesus is going to do in, in our lives or in our life. May God add his blessing to, uh, to this powerful, simple 
story that uh, is the truth of Jesus coming our way. Amen.